Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today we're going verse by verse through the book of John. So turn there in your Bibles as we join Pastor Mike. John chapter 6 is where we're going to be this morning. It's where we left off last week as we go line upon line through the Bible. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word this morning, we just ask you that your Holy Spirit would speak to us through this. And Lord, truly, the manna that comes down from heaven, your bread, you are who feeds us. And so we ask you now that, Lord, you would fill us in Jesus' name. Amen. Whenever we study the Bible, it's always really important to get the who, what, why, when, and where. Context is everything in the Bible. This prevents people from running in tangents, starting cults, building theologies upon a fragmented verse. And so if we look at this before we start in verse 41, let's go to verse 59. These things Jesus said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Now, the reason why that's important, he was teaching in their temple. He was teaching in their synagogue. Now, why that's important is who he was addressing with these words. Previous to what we're reading today, he was addressing the people who were following him, looking for a free meal. We remember the Bible tells us that he'd fed the 5,000 men. The next day, they really liked the idea of all-you-can-eat fish and chips. And so as Jesus had multiplied the food, they followed him, hoping he would do the same thing again the next day. And Jesus got after him a little bit for following him for the wrong reasons. Well, now we find this caused a huge ruckus because of the miracles that Jesus did. And so in verse 41... Here in Capernaum, you might say this is Jesus' center of ministry, uh, was Capernaum. Verse 41, then the Jews murmured against him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. Um, The Pharisees were always looking for something wrong with Jesus. The Pharisees were always looking for something wrong with Jesus. Paul, the apostle. In Fox's Book of Martyrs, you'll read how the apostles died, how the early church fathers died. But you'll never read in Fox's Book of Martyrs how the Pharisees died. And why is that? They're still here. You'll find they'll always try to find fault in whatever you do. They said they murmured against him because he said, I'm the bread of life which came down from heaven. The bread is what sustained the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt, when when Moses led the children of Israel out. And they said, the Pharisees, it is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whom the father and mother we have known. How is it that he says, I have come down from heaven? Now, it is interesting here that they were still trying to attribute Jesus' earthly father to Joseph. 
They didn't get it. They didn't understand it. And this shows, again, in this religious setting, in a synagogue, they still did not understand what Jesus was talking about. Jesus, therefore, answered and said to them. Now, again, when you find the word therefore, I know this is corny. Find out why it's therefore. Why is that? Because he's addressing the mentality or that which has been stated uh, before. He said, do not murmur among yourselves. Now, the reason why this is important, because we look at this here, that the Pharisees were murmuring among themselves. But this is not exclusive to the Pharisees. For when we get up past verse 60, we're going to begin to see that it wasn't just the Pharisees that were murmuring. It was Jesus' own disciples that were murmuring. We're going to talk about why they murmured in just a second. But the thing we have to remember is they murmured among themselves. Verse 44, Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. We talked about this last week. What is the last day? Well, depending on what particular religion you're part of, some people believe, well, this is the last day uh, in which all everyone stands before God at the great white throne judgment. Well, the problem with that is it doesn't go with the rest of Scripture. Such as Paul saying to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So the idea of soul sleep that some religions teach is in error because Paul says we go immediately, our spirit goes to be with the Lord. Somebody would say, well, what about, as an example, in the book of Acts, where Stephen was stoned to death, one of the first martyrs, and it says that, that um, it says he fell asleep. Well, his body did, but his spirit went to be with the Lord. And that's how the Bible oftentimes references this body ceasing to house our spirit. And so always remember that you're a triune being. You're created in the image of God. You're a body, a mind, and a spirit. You have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You're a body, a mind, and a spirit. And it's always glorious when all three agree with each other, doesn't it? When your body, your mind, and your spirit is all happy, that's a happy person. You talk to an alcoholic. You can look at him and say, do you know your drinking is killing you? Yep, I know that. You know you need to stop drinking? Yep, I know that. You got to stop drinking? Nope. Why? Because their body appetite overrides even mentally what they know they should stop doing. This is where a person is not in order. That's why when the Bible talks about you must be born again, as Jesus did in John chapter 3, the Spirit of God comes and rejuvenates us inside, controls in the mind, and the mind then has the power to control the body. Well, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. I believe the last day is the last day that we live on this earth. There's a day coming in which we all will cease to be here. But the Bible tells us that we will be raised up. We will be with him. And as a matter of fact, if you go back to the Old Testament, Elijah raised the little boy from the dead. And the Bible says his spirit returned to him. The Bible doesn't say, and the spirit in him that was asleep woke up. 
doesn't say that. His spirit returned to him. We also remember Jarius's daughter, who was uh, grievously ill. And they sent for Jesus to come and pray for this little girl. Well, remember that they came and they said, don't trouble the teacher, your daughter has died. And Jesus went ahead and went to Jarius' house. He put all those that were inside out. He said, she's not dead, she's only sleeping. And the Bible says they laughed him to scorn. So he took just the closest disciples with him into the house And he said, Tabitha, arise. And the little girl sat up, and the Bible says her spirit returned to her. Doesn't say it woke up. Now, the reason why you need to know these things, because you'll have very well-intentioned people coming to you with the idea of soul sleep or other ideas that are not fully balanced in the entirety of God's Word. See, the problem today is people can read line upon line, but because they don't look at the entirety of God's word, they build theologies or ideas upon a piece, a fragment of a verse. Well, what is that saying to us right now? We'll look at this. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. Oh, well, that gets into heavy predestination. In other words, God has turned into an ogre. And he's put people on earth to deliberately send them to hell. I have heard this. This one comes up probably once a week on every man and answer. Well, here's the reason why they do that. They read this without looking at the context in who he said it to. Who did he say this to? Where was this remark made? In the synagogue. First, the Jewish people believed Their right to heaven, their right to godliness, was because they were descendants of Abraham. It wasn't because they had sought God personally. It's because they thought they had a given right because I inherited my religion. Well, you'll talk to people today about that. And I have. Go to the mall. Say, if you died today, here's a good lure in dad's fishing box when Jesus said from now on, you'll be catching men to Peter. If you died today, would you go to heaven? And they'll say, well, yeah. Oh, you're a Christian. Well, yeah. What's a Christian? Uh. I remember I used to drive back and forth from Whittier to LAX International Airport. I had a captive audience. I had my Bible setting up on the motor box. And so every once in a while, somebody would get in there and to make conversation. I remember one guy had my Bible sitting there like this and he reaches over and he kind of goes like this. And I looked at him, I said, it's a Bible. Oh yeah, yeah, I know that. I said, oh, are you a Christian? And he goes, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. And I asked the question, what's a Christian? And it got silent. Now you got to realize the van is filled with all kinds of other people as well. So they have a theological discussion going on right here, right on, uh, right on the uh, 405 freeway. And so as, as we're driving along, he's just looking out the window. And I thought, oh, he just blew me off. Oh, that's okay. And he looks back over and he goes, you got me. I don't know what a Christian is. And I began to share with him who Jesus was. But so many people says, well, 
I was born in America. I'm a Christian. Or I got money in my pocket says, in God we trust. You don't get any closer to me than my wallet. Well, when you look at it, what the Bible says is that we don't inherit. I was baptized when I was a baby. All these different ideas of what a Christian is. Well, when it came right down to it, I just shared to him, putting all your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ. And, and just as, as the thief on the cross said, remember me when you come into your kingdom after he'd confessed that we deserve to be up here. We deserve to die. Well, that explained it to him. You see, the religious leaders of the day, they said, and by the way, as you look at this, it tells us, then the Jews, these were not just Jewish people living in the area. This is speaking of those practicing Judaism in the synagogue. And again, we go back to this continually because of the importance of it. John the Baptist's ministry was so unique because in order to become a, a person that follows Judaism, you would take and renounce your pagan deity you would embrace Yahweh as your God and take a ceremonial washing. Well, what made John the Baptist's ministry so out there was he went to the Jewish nation saying, you Jewish nation, you need to take a ceremonial washing. Well, wait a minute. We inherited our religiosity from, 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 from uh, Abraham. No, you need to take a ceremonial washing as well. So, this is why you'll find a couple of chapters back that the Pharisees would chide with John the Baptist's disciples over purification. And what the purification was is being right before God and that you didn't inherit it, you had to embrace it. So understand who he's talking to concerning this. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Verse 45 explains this. As it is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught by God. Okay? They shall be taught by God. Not because you inherited anything, but because you were taught by God. Therefore, again, whenever therefore is in the Bible, find out why it's therefore. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. That is what Jesus is talking about. Unless the Father draws them, they cannot come to me. Jesus, in the next verse, explains what this means. Not that God put people on this earth to send them to hell. So the criteria then isn't that you inherited your religion. It's that when you go to God and you hear his voice and you're taught of him, those are the ones that the Bible is talking about. Because see, the Bible tells us in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. It doesn't say for God so loved the predestinated ones or God so loved the ones that... But see, here's the thing you always have to remember. God doesn't learn. Now, I don't know anybody like that. God doesn't live in time. I don't know anything like that. Because everything I know has a date attached to it. Your driver's license expires. How many people have ever gotten pulled over by a car and the cop looks at you and says, you know, your driver's license expired 20 years ago. <laughs> oh. You go into a store. And I, and, I, I, and I, I distinctly remember when I became to be very much aware of the passing of time. 
And it wasn't really in my teen years or even in my 20s, but it was in, I think, my early 30s where I remember going in and seeing the dates printed on the cartons of milk and ex the expiration date. And I became aware, man, time's passing by. You, you know, when, when, when you're young, there ain't no time but now. And as you get a little bit older, you start thinking about, you know, if I do this, how bad will I hurt the next day? You know, you, you start a time thing. But God doesn't live in time. He lives in all times presence. That's what it means in Revelation chapter 22. I am Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, the first and the last. He lives in all times present. God doesn't learn. God doesn't bite his nails over what's going on in the Middle East right now. God has it all under control. That's why we need to be found in him. And our source of sustenance needs to change. We're going to talk about that in just a second. Because Jesus talking about that he was the bread of life. So verse 45 again. It is written in the prophets. So this is something that he says. This, in other words, establishes what he's talking about. Therefore, everyone. Does that sound like pre Inclusion to you? Doesn't sound like it to me. It says everyone. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So in other words, everyone that's heard. Have you heard from the Father? Hey, when I heard that I was a sinner, I knew that. I didn't know what to do about it. And then they told me. I was taught of him. And I realized I could be forgiven and my life can start over. Not just when I became born again, but every day. So, it says, verse 46. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. What does a person dying need? Life. We're all dying. Do you realize that? Some of us are dying a little faster than others. Not necessarily tie, tied to a, a, a yearly calendar. You may have been diagnosed with some type of disease and you know your time may be shorter than somebody else. And by the way, just to tell you this, people that have been diagnosed with a terminal disease, in one way, it is a blessing. You say, Mike, how could you say such a terrible thing? It's that the reality of death is in front of you, where most people don't think they're ever going to die. When a doctor says you've got six months to live, all of a sudden now you begin to count your days. You think about what you're doing with your life. You think about where you're going. You think about where you've been. And I believe all those things are so important because everyone should live like today is your last day. It can be. I've done many funerals where I have had people in the congregation and the next Sunday they were no longer here. I was doing their memorial service the following day. It's hard. Because they were just here. And you keep thinking that they're going to get up out of the box. And they don't. I always call those days on illustrated sermons. Someday you'll be in the box. What will people say about you? What will you say about you? 
So you look at this and you realize everlasting life. How important is it? It's really important. Because if you don't have everlasting life, you're scared to death. Or scared of death. Because you have no hope. But we don't live like people that have no hope. Why? Because what we live on is different than what the world lives on. Now, he says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and are dead. Now, we talked about this last week. The Jewish people generally referred to that which came down from heaven in the time of Moses as manna. The word manna in the original language means, what is it? They didn't know what it was. It just showed up on the ground every morning. They'd go out, pick it up, eat it. If they took more than they could eat, it would spoil. What is it? And they would always call it manna. Jesus always called it bread. So he is using the word that they understood, manna, meaning what is it, versus himself. And he said, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they're dead. This bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread... He will live forever, and the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Jesus gave his flesh when he died on the cross. That's what he's talking about. Now you say, well, why is that important? Because if you don't have a promise of life, you're going to be scared to death. That's why you have a boldness the Bible talks about that people outside of Christianity don't have. And by the way, when you realize your eternity is not based upon our, your, my performance, it's based upon who Jesus is. That's good news. In other words, if me going to heaven was based upon my performance, how will I ever know if I've done enough good things to merit eternal life? There's always going to be that haunting well, did you really do enough? Well, I hope I've done. And, and, and I've talked to many people. More questions to ask friends. I repeat this a lot. You ask them, if you died today, would you go to heaven? They'll say, I've done the best I can. Well, what if going to heaven isn't based upon your performance and doing the best you can? What if going to heaven was based upon somebody else doing totally excellent and you being found in him? That's the gospel. That's the good news. Us going to heaven is not based upon our performance. It's based upon who Jesus Christ is. So, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. This was hard for them to grasp because Jesus had already made the comparison of manna in the wilderness and now himself. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? It's really amazing they didn't get it. Now, Jesus is using a play on words here, but actually it is true because Jesus said, search the scriptures in them you think you have eternal life, but they are which testify of me. Jesus is referring back, when you search the Old Testament scriptures, you're going to find Jesus. And Jesus was that bread that came down from heaven. 
Thank you for joining us on It's Time, as Pastor Mike teaches verse by verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com slash it's time. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thank you for listening and tune in next time for It's Time. It's Time.